0: Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen, Chan and Chow join the CCP, Ip Man opens HKIFF, Chow's Odyssey in Chan's China, and we look at the Valentine's Day film together. And uh, happy Year of the Snake! Ready. West
1: trade. This Welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. It is Wednesday, February 27th, 2013. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me after a bit of a hiatus for the Chinese New Year back from the U.S. As always, from his secret location right here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma.
0: Hello, everybody. Hello, Paul. Happy, uh, happy. Well, I was a little late, but happy year of the snake.
1: Yes, Gong He Fa Choy and all, all that Choi. good stuff. And uh, yes. how was your
0: holiday? It was good. Uh, I mean, I was jet lagged all, all nine days when I was in the states, so I didn't really get the sleep that I that I so desperately needed. But um, yeah, it's good to take a couple of days. Um, uh, see, see, you know, friends and family, and uh, saw my niece. Of course, that was great. Yeah. Did you take pictures?
1: Yes. Yes. Good. Yes. Good. Yeah. Yeah. We'll look forward to seeing those. You know, nine days isn't really a long time. It's that's usually about the time it takes me just to get adjusted to the time difference when I go back, and then uh, you got to turn around and come back again.
0: Yeah, it really does take a toll on you. Like, I would, I would wake up at like six in the morning, and then at, at midnight I start dozing off, like, like automatically, and I can't stay awake at movies. I went yeah. to um, three different movies, and I, and I would doze off. uh which i always do in hong kong but not as often it's got to
1: be a little bit different for you because you're over on the west coast um, and we've got what a four hour time difference over on the east coast but when i go back usually um what happens to me is i i start to crash out about two or three o'clock in the afternoon oh yeah and then i won't want to get up for dinner and that will make my mom incredibly angry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but then I'll be, I'll be, I'll get up like at 11 or midnight or one o'clock and I won't be able to go back to sleep and I'll just be up and you know, nobody else is up. So I'll watch movies or play games or do whatever. And it usually takes me quite a, you know, a, a, at least a couple days. Sometimes it takes me a whole week, um,
0: to get off that cycle. And then before you know it, you're turning around, you're coming back. Actually, that that's worse than, than what I had, because I mean, I I slept at normal hours, but then the problem is I, I wake up too early. Yeah. Um. But I get you know I, I sleep early enough you know like midnight is a pretty good time to to sleep. Um. But I just I just can't go back to sleep when I wake up. It, but you know still still relatively normal I guess not not as bad as. Yours. So what did
1: you what do you fly to go back and and do you do you have a layover in Tokyo or how do you go back?
0: No, I flew uh, directly from uh, on Singapore Airlines. Uh, there's a direct flight. That actually maybe that's part of it because it, it leaves at ten o'clock here at night, and it lands in um, in the states at seven o'clock at night. Mm. So you really have to like adjust your sleep hours right that way because when you land you have to get ready to sleep, but you can't really sleep sleep when you get on the plane, or you can't sleep for so long on the plane. Yeah, it's hard. Or something like that. It's hard. Yeah, uh, but the flight back was a little easier because I, I it was a night flight and you land here in the morning. So you sleep as much as you can on the plane, and then I woke up and I literally went straight to work in the airport. Yeah. Now, do you and have trouble
1: I... when you come back? Is it, I always find that coming back, I really don't have a lot of trouble getting back on
0: schedule. I, I still have the problem of waking up too early, mm-hmm. actually, the last couple of days. Um, but, you know, the thing is I have to wake up early for work anyway. So it's not as um, uh, torturous as it was back in the States where I'm like on vacation. I'm trying to sleep. I'm trying to sleep. Here's – oh, I can't – oh, I have to wake up for work anyway, so I might as well.
1: Well, that is neither here nor there. We are back, and it is the year of the snake, and there's a lot of stuff going to be going on, uh, you know, this month and in the month to come. We've got some things to talk about and some other stuff going on. Um, I'm in the middle of a big move, as uh, you might have known if you've listened to the past couple episodes. I think I've mentioned it here or there, but we are actually moving on the coming Saturday as of uh, this week, uh, for the week we're recording. not sure when your listeners out there, podcast listeners, might be listening to this, but... uh, We are uh, moving on the upcoming Saturday. The house is starting to get all boxed up. And uh, what that means for the show is that we will be off again. I do apologize. uh, Next week. And uh, the idea will be we'll be back in uh, two weeks. We don't have a Hong Kong movie or a China movie for next week anyway. So it kind of works out. Uh, But I do not, I really don't like it when we have to go on these extended hiatuses as much as we do. Um, but I'm not sure when I'm going to have uh, internet service, and I'm going to have my system set back up. I'll hopefully have that back up uh, within a week, but it'll be likely to be two weeks before we have the next show. Um, but we will keep you posted up on the web uh, the website and uh, through Twitter and the other areas that we update uh, to what's going on. Um, couple of announcements uh, during the hiatus. I did a little bit of work over on the site. You may have noticed on Twitter that we have a new logo. Uh, This was a logo that I actually commissioned a while ago, and I actually finally got it up on the site, and I did a little bit of a revamp um, to some of the site. Uh, I got the the episodes all in order by season. We now have a season zero, and uh, hopefully everything will be fluidly updated as we go forward in adding to that. So if you want to go back and find um, older episodes on the site, it's pretty easy to go through. There's a complete sort of Table of contents listing now, all the way back to episode one. Um, Additionally, I'd like to say a big thanks to listener David Lamb, who sent us some really cool fan art uh, that I'll be putting up on the site uh, with this episode. I've linked to his uh, website and some of the artwork he does before. He occasionally takes on Hong Kong movies as a theme and an inspiration for some of his artwork, and he really sent us a pretty cool. Um, personalized bit of artwork, specifically for the show. He sent us artwork before, um, but this one is really for uh, the East Screen, East Green, West Screen program, and we, I really liked it, and uh, we thank him for his continued support of our little show. I do want to say an additional bit of news. I mentioned this a couple weeks back. Um, Rob G. from Schnauzer Studios, Schnauzer Studios over there in Europe, who did our theme for us, Uh, He has a new album out, and that album was released earlier this week. It is called Music for a 1950s Video Game. I will post the links uh, to that album uh, for his website, and from there you can go to pretty much any site that's selling music, whether it's iTunes or Amazon. Uh, You can get the digital version. He's also got an actual CD that's coming out. I think you can get the digital version now. I've already bought it, and um, I really like his style and i think the cd itself is coming a little bit later if i remember i think the uh it shows a march release date up on amazon um but if you like our theme and you like that kind of music uh that that he does um i'd urge you to go give it a listen give it uh check out he's a really good musician i like his stuff and i'd urge you um to you know get into it especially if you're like video game esque style music all right, uh, I think it's time to move on and talk a little bit about some news. All right, so since we haven't actually had a show since when? <laughs> uh, <it's been laughs> like a, while. a couple
0: of days uh, before before Chinese New yeah, Year. Yeah, I
1: think it's been since January, right? Um,
0: no, no, February, February.
1: Did we have a show in February? The very we did, beginning. Right before, right yeah.
0: before we did all the New Year movies. Right after we saw them. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so like the 7th.
1: But it's been a while, and there's been a couple things happening, and so we're going to go back a few weeks and talk about a little some older news um, to begin with, and then we'll sort of build up to some of the more recent stuff. Uh, one bit of news, and we were actually going to talk about this on our Chinese New Year episode, but then we thought, nah, no news for Chinese New Year. We'll just uh, stick with the movies. Um, but this first bit of news um, is coming from the CBC News uh, website. um uh, cbc.ca, which I think is a Canada, um, a Canada URL. Uh, it says Jackie Chan named to Chinese government advisory board. And he has been named along with the 2012 Nobel, um, laureate, uh, Mo Yan, as well as, um, Stephen Chow. Um, they, uh, from you know, the, uh, director who we, uh, talked about last time. Um, this is, um, as best as I can understand it, it's sort of a uh, a cultural body, and they bring in people who have cultural standing in a variety of fields. Um, the article goes on to say that, um, that the delegates named to the uh, CPPCC can be recommended for the post by various groups or invited by the body's standing committee. Um, I mean, we've talked about Jackie Chan, and I had a Pretty big discussion over on uh, Google Plus with some uh, people earlier in the week because there was an Apple Daily article about Stephen Chow basically kind of saying he's abandoned Hong Kong and um, he's not you know doing the kind of work he used to and this that came you know just before the the big news of uh, some of the numbers for his film recent uh, Chinese Odyssey film in the mainland we'll talk about that in just a bit. Um, but I don't know, you know, it, it. I guess this is seen as a very um, polarizing move by these guys, because I'm wondering, do you actually have to become a party member? I would think you'd have to be a party member to be part of these committees, um, but I'm not exactly sure that's the case. Um, but it seems like, you know, if you are on a committee... With other party members, you're going to be working quite closely with them, and you're going to be, um, you know, uh, cozying up to to the party in some way, shape, or form. Am, am I correct in this assumption, Kevin?
0: Well, and we're going to talk about this this official language, this official stance, not 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 the truth, not not the reality. Is that the Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party are actually separate entities? Yes, they're considered separate entities. So, to be working. In the political advisory in in the government, doesn't mean you are in the party. I believe.
1: Yeah, and I think that was part of the. Uh, there's a I mean, there's a viral video, idea. going around of some some guy flipping out at an airport and because uh, he didn't make his plane and he's basically like ripping the terminal apart. Um, and I think it was pointed out that he's an official, but he's not like a party guy. He's not part of the main party or something. So yeah, um, that is. Uh, th- that is true, but it's not. Yes, true? the
0: in the official in the Wikipedia page, it says the orga- the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, the CCPCC, consists of delegates from a range of political parties and organizations as well as independent members. In so 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 each part essentially, it, of course, most of it is going to be the Communist Party, of course, right. But the official stance is that actually many of them, many of these, uh, or there are few members from the so-called other opposition party, so-called opposition party, right? Um, but of course, yeah, by and large, most of it is controlled by the Communist Party. So you don't really have to be a member of the Communist Party to be in the committee, um, which would be their defense if, if they were ever you know, called out on it, whether they're Communist Party or not, I think. That's the idea. So,
1: I guess the real question for me is what are they gonna do i mean are, are they gonna have any any impact on you know censorship are they gonna work with
0: sarft or um <coughs> no no these guys they just these these are essentially de facto this de facto honorary members who are just um they can use the name to to get clout elsewhere when they when they work on deals when they meet business people when they when they go and pen you know Uh, future, whatever deals they want to make, they can just, an honorary title is something that they can say they are in order to smooth things over in the future. Um, They don't actually have to do any work. I I, I don't, you know, people who actually show up at these things, they fall asleep anyway, so it's not like they do any real work. Um, The
1: article says that this group um, is an advisory group that meets at the same time as the National People's Congress in March, Um, so they're going to be meeting about something, in in the coming month, who knows, you know, maybe they'll uh, um they'll compare box office notes. You
0: know I, I think I think they are they are a little more um <coughs> they are they, they will be a little more under pressure or under the spotlight because they are celebrities. Um when the fact is, you know, many of these members they show up and they fall asleep so and do anything real. So but then when they do it, they're gonna be called out on it. I think that'll be interesting to see how how the media, how netizens uh, pay attention to these celebrities uh, on the committee. Of course, there are a few, you know, there are a few Hong Kong celebrities, I think, they are on that committee already. Um, and Jackie Chan, Charm, uh, not Charm, um, I mean, Stephen Chow, just the, the latest ones. The latest ones, yeah.
1: It says, the appointment of famous figures to political posts has sparked heated discussion in editorials and on Chinese social media. Um, I'm assuming things like Weibo. And he says, with commenters noting that spotty attendance records and a lack of concrete contributions by show business and the athletic world delegates to the CPPCC in the past. So um, it sounds like, you know, one of the things they're hoping is that they bring, you know, these famous actors, come directors into the mix and then more people are going to show up, (laughs) basically.
0: I I I don't even know. I I don't know what the idea is, but you know, like Mo Yan, like do you think he's gonna say even whether they want to be on it or not? Um, I don't think they're gonna ever say no. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, just force, they just got these title on them. Whether it do anything is really their own thing. Um, and um, whatever, I guess have have fun. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Just don't run for chief executive of Hong Kong. <laughs> Afterwards. You know, the, the you know the joke is that um, uh, chief executive of Hong Kong by now at this point essentially he's the party secretary representing Hong Kong Province.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, that's what a lot of people say. <laughs> um, all right, but that's 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 a discussion for you know East politics, West politics, I guess.
0: <laughs> you know, Andy Lau, if he wants to be chief executive of Hong Kong, he's going to have to join that committee.
1: Um, yeah, unless unless Hong Kong gets universal suffrage and then the people just vote him in.
0: <laughs> that's a good
1: one yeah. well there was that petition right there was a there was a legitimate petition going around uh, the white house for or something like andy that. Lau for chief executive uh all right uh next bit of news about the hong kong international film festival uh this piece coming from our favorite news site film biz asia uh this is from stephen Kremen from um thursday february 21st uh so just last week and this is about uh, the film Ip Man Final Fight, directed by Herman Yao. And this is going to be the opening film for the Hong Kong International Film Festival this year. Um, it says the festival has regularly screened the films of director Yao, um, whose latest work is a sequel to his The Legend uh, The legend is Born Ip Man. Um, but this one stars uh, Anthony Wong, Wong Zhang. As the the martial arts master in his you know his uh, what would you call it golden years is he is he that old
0: the older essentially is the is the uh, uh, second hour of, uh, of Grandmaster yeah, I
1: suppose. yeah. Um, so yeah uh, you know I make I'm, I'm excited to see this film I, I like Herman Yao the first one was you know was okay it wasn't wasn't outstanding um but uh the trailer alone was enough to get me excited to see anthony wong and eric zhang having a fight <laughs> i mean that's just not something you see every day
0: the the um, the, the martial arts matchup we've been all waiting we've yes, all been waiting for yes.
1: e- even though we didn't know we were waiting for it we we, <laughs> we have been all this time um But uh, I I think I sent out a tweet and I was basically, I I basically, you know, I thought about it and I said, it seems weird to me that um, of the Ip Man films that have come out this year, that uh, it's this film that's opening the H-K-I-F-F and not the Wong Kar-Wai film. Um, Not, I'm not, that's not, that's not a swipe at Herman Yau at all. I like him probably, I like more of Herman Yau films than I do Wong Kar-Wai films, but that's just me. But it really does kind of seem weird that this is the film that they're kind of leading with. I mean, yeah,
0: uh, well, I mean they didn't really have much of a choice mm-hmm. if you think about it, because okay, drug war, Jonathan's drug war, which will be screened at the festival, um, it's already premiered at um, Venice and is playing in Osaka, so it's not even an Asian premiere anymore, um, and it's a China film, so they can't show that as a as a as an opening film. Saving General Yang, um, there are already a couple of screenings happening around, like press screenings happening next week. There's a, a screening happening at my school this Saturday with a Ronnie Yu uh, talk. So it's been seen. So it's not like the world premiere that that um, they wanted to. Plus, again, it's maybe more of a China film
1: mm.
0: because of the Mandarin. And, and yes, it's the Hong Kong director, but Mandarin and it's not entirely Hong Kong cast. So the closest thing you have to Hong Kong film left that's coming up in the next couple of months is essentially it's, it's this one it man and of course it man being you know after grandmaster it's a it's a good name to to start the festival with i guess
1: well i mean uh, opening on the same day as the uh, Tang Wei film right could have gone with that <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> not not really festival material yeah that well that one that one actually, I'm surprised well, that one was probably too commercial or or they couldn't work out some kind of deal the thing is opening in 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 the mainland on the twenty second mm. but uh, yeah, you're right, it could have gotten some kind of festival screening, but I guess they couldn't. Secure it, um, whichever. But um, you know, it's not a terrible choice, but it is not a very popular choice. It seems like Mm -hmm. because to this day, I mean, ticket sales started last Saturday, and uh, even to today, um, the opening film is still neither the showings, including the one with the 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 cast and crew, is sold out. It's not sold out yet. Mm. So clearly, it's not a very popular choice for for opening film this year. Even I I think even last year when um don't go break no don't go uh, love and the buff. Sold out very quickly as well for opening film, even though it was like a uh, four days before the opening of the film. Uh, the 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 opening film showing uh, at the festival sold out very quickly. But this year is it's it's, a, it's very slow for this film, even though many of the other films already sold out, including the uh, the first showing of Drug War.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I'm you know I, I'm excited to see it. I won't be seeing it during the festival. Uh, I just you know I don't have the time to get out to the screenings. Um, we'll talk more about. The festival, as it gets a little bit closer, though, I'm sure Kevin is going to keep us abreast of all the many shows that he buys tickets for, and the many that twenty-eight he, he buys 28. tickets for and doesn't actually get to see. Yeah, um, I, I
0: am. I am making a very conscious efforts to try and make it to the movies. You say uh, inclu- that every year, <laughs> including, including, including thinking about the geography when I buy these tickets. Like, I would be foolish enough to buy like a ticket at um, you know, for a cinema where I live. At like a five o'clock show, and then like buy a, a eight o'clock show at like across town, and thinking I'm gonna be watching across the street, and then like go home, and then go back out, which I'm not gonna do. So I'm trying to do that this year. Are you
1: taking time off?
0: No, no, not at all. No. Um. So, so actually, the fact that I found 28 screenings to go to, despite that, is kind of a miracle. Yeah.
1: There's there's one film that I really wanted to see, and that is um, Wicked City. They've got a screening I- of that. Um, but they've only got one show, and it's in the middle of the day on a Tuesday, and I, I, you know, based on my current teaching schedule, I could try to rush over to the science museum, and try to maybe make it back. But it would be super tight. I don't know if I'd be able to do it. Um, I'm still debating whether to try or not. But uh, I, you know, I because not a not a great film. If you know Wicked City, it's um you know um, the Hark... Uh, adaptation of a Japanese um, supernatural sci-fi slash anime um, story, but uh, I've actually got it on video back in the states somewhere. But I've always wanted to see that on the big screen. Um, and it does have
0: one of the iconic images that I always remember of Hong Kong cinema, and that's the um, the, the 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 a high angle shot or low angle shot or high angle, I guess that's the word. Of the plane of a of a jet flying over a building really closely yeah that's yeah. like an iconic image I'm not sure I never I I've never seen the entire film or I have but I don't remember but that's one image that's always stayed to me for some reason when it comes to like yeah I
1: mean it's cert- it's certainly not a it, it it's not it's not one of the better you know it, it, the has got much more um, artistically pleasing films out there. Um, but it's one that I've always really liked, and I, I've always
0: wanted to have a chance to see it in the cinema. Now I've got it, but they've only got one screening, and it's in the middle of the day. So yes, that's what they always do with the the retrospective, the filmmaker and focus retrospective. Like last year, I wanted to see um, "Too Many Ways to Be Number One." No, that was two years ago. Two years ago, I want to see uh, "Too Many Ways to Be Number One" as part of the White Cow Fight retrospective, um, and they put that at like seven thirty at the night of the um, the night of the Asian Film Awards, uh, and I couldn't make that this year. It, it, this is part of the Andrew Lau retrospective, Wicked City and uh, also other films, including The Guillotines, I don't know why, and uh, <laughs> Confession of Pain and Initial D. But actually, the one, the one Andrew Lau film in the retrospective that I really wanted to see was Young and Dangerous, the first Young and Dangerous film. And it's showing in a science museum, which is a perfectly you know, good screen. And sadly, I'm giving that up to watch um, another indie film. Uh, across town so that's like the one thing I'm like no it's young and dangerous versus a indie film I want to see so I chose the indie film sorry sorry again yeah it's um yeah what are you gonna do (laughs) but it's a good it's a good fest you know you know you have a good festival on hand when you when you're trying to like oh I have too many films to watch I, I need to like pick and choose really carefully I think that's a sign of a good festival
1: well, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I've kind of drifted away from festival just because, you know, fam, family and work have taken precedence and I've just not been able to have the time to get out the screenings. But every once in a while, you know, there's there's one thing that I want to see and uh, it just doesn't work out because they're showing it. You know, I would think they would sh- they'd shift more towards the, you know, the early mornings or the evenings for a lot of stuff. But I guess they figure the festival's more for people coming in from out of town, people who don't have regular jobs
0: well the thing one, one thing i like about the hkiff is that they're not like your typical um uh i guess the the festival in terms of festival um circuit in that it's you only get the festival circuit um aura in the first week because of film art not because of the hkiff HKIFF doesn't have a competition so it really is about watching movies instead of about competing and film markets and all that other crap you know, it, it really is for Hong Kongers um, uh, who want to go and see a film. And that's why I like I'm not in that f- festival circuit and I'm always uh, always in love with uh, H-K-I-F-F. Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, am I correct? I hear you right that this is part of the uh, Andrew Lau retrospective?
0: Yes, this year the filmmaker in focus is Andrew Lau. Mm. The, that's why they're showing, like I said, they're showing Infernal Affairs, Confession of Pain, The Guillotines. Um, there are a couple of good stuff in there, like you said, Wake the City, um, um, Young and Dangerous. and uh, So they're covering both his work as a director and a cinematographer. Hmm. So that also includes Ringo lamp City on Fire. Wicked, but I don't think Wicked City is part of that, is it? It is. It is. He was a cinematographer. Oh, was he? Okay. Yes.
1: Okay. Because, yes. yeah, it was. I, it was uh... So heark wrote it and I think he produced. Who directed it? Uh, was it?
0: You know, I'm, I'm sure someone. Uh, Peter else direct- Yeah, on, on 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 paper, someone else directed it, but you know, Trey Hart probably yeah. directed it. <laughs> that's probably true. Um, and, and, and another thing, uh, another program worth worth looking out for, and I'm not saying this. I'm not just saying this because I wrote stuff for it, but uh, this year the Hong Kong Film Archive, along with the Film Festival, is uh, presenting a um a retrospective of Golden Harvest films from the '70s to uh, up to the 1990s, uh, covering essentially two three decades, uh, including um. Films like *Way of the Dragon*, um, *Aikido*, *The Big Boss*, um, *Last Rota for Chivalry*, um, let's see *Enter the Dragon*, um, up to newer, more contemporary, you know, romance stuff like *A Fishy Story*, um, *I Am Sorry*, uh, which stars uh, Karina Lau. But the first part of the retrospective will be at the HKIFF, and the um, the rest of the program will be held uh, between April fourth to the thirtieth of June. Yeah,
1: and uh, isn't um that also part of one of the book releases
0: yeah uh, i i think that's an uh not 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 from the festival uh the film archive will be will be releasing a book uh about golden harvest yeah. i think as yeah, kozo kozo tweeted about yeah
1: yeah um all right well we'll be talking more about the hong kong film festival and um certainly uh kevin will be tweeting about it and uh, writing about it and We'll be coming back to visit uh, and discuss some of his experiences. And I'll talk about if I actually sneak out and manage to see Wicked City <laughs> on a big screen or not. Um, but more of that to come in the weeks to come. For now, let's move on and talk about some other uh, Chinese cinema news. And uh, this is going to be about uh, the film that we talked about last time for the Chinese New Year. And that is Stephen Chow's um, Journey to the West, Conquering Demons. Um, so, you know, sort of his, uh, reboot or the, the, uh, re-adaption of part of the Journey to the West or Chinese Odyssey, uh, stories that he's working on, um, has done really, really well in China. And, uh, apparently it's, uh, broken some records and kicked button taken names. Uh, there's been a couple articles, there's, uh, a couple articles up over on Film Biz Asia, um, talking about the the numbers it's taking in, and the one I'm reading from now is also from Stephen Kremen uh, from February fifteenth, where he says that Journey breaks China's single-day box office record. Um, you know, it, it, as as I was mentioning before, Stephen Chow is a very hotly discussed figure right now in Hong Kong. Um, the Apple Daily has been has a had an article out saying that. Uh, you know, Steven's kind of, you know, given up on Hong Kong cinema, and he doesn't have the magic that he used to, and he's just looking to, you know, cash in in the mainland, and I think they wrote that before the numbers came in, uh, and so now the numbers are in, and uh, film's doing really, really well, and Apple Daily's kind of got a little bit of egg on their face. Um, I correct me if i'm wrong kevin but didn't cj7 kind of do a similar thing i mean it didn't do too well here in hong kong but did pretty well in the mainland and uh if i remember correctly they went on to do a spin-off cartoon series um actually it did
0: (coughs) cj7 did very well here um 50 something mil uh hong kong dollars which is pretty much on par with steven chow films uh here in hong kong despite the bad word of mouth Um, Of course, it did very well in in the mainland. But um, in case of Journey to the West, uh, the film as of, of, um, I think, uh, the 24th, and I'm I'm looking at official figures here, uh, as of the 24th, which is three days ago, it was at 992 million RMB, which makes it the second highest grossing Chinese film ever.
1: Which is Um, currently behind Lost in Thailand, which we talked about earlier.
0: Yes, it has passed the 1 billion RMB mark. Um, essentially, over the last couple of days, and it is aiming straight, and, and, and it did it in two weeks. That's way, way faster than lost in Thailand. So, we're looking at, uh, we're looking at it. Um, this, despite the Hobbit opening this past week, this despite um, other Hollywood films and other competition uh, in the indie the New Year marketplace. Um, it will become. It, let's face it. I am forecasting that it will be. It will be lost in Thailand uh, by by next week. Uh probably next week or if not the in two weeks or so. Um so yes, it's done incredible business in in, in China. There's not even numbers that Stephen Chow would do in Hong Kong. I mean, there's not the kind of record that Stephen Chow would break even in Hong Kong. It series seven did very well. It was the top grossing movie that year. Um I think. I have to double check. But um it wasn't very disappointing at all. Uh in Hong Kong, Journey to the West is the highest grossing um um, Chinese language film out of the three, which is uh, Hotel Deluxe, uh, I Love Hong Kong 2013, and uh, Journey to the West. Uh, it did about 25 mil, which is not your typical uh, Stephen Chow numbers, but let's face it, he's not in the movie, and it's a film made for the mainland. So um, considering that, I think it's it's, it's fairly good. It's a fairly good number, 25 mil. Uh, it will probably hold up for a while as the highest-grossing uh, Hong Kong film of the year. Probably until until the summer,
1: hmm.
0: so so it's, it's not so bad. So, are, it, can
1: we look at these numbers and if we're going to do some comparison with Lost in Thailand? Now, Lost in Thailand was not a three D film. Nope. Uh, but this one has both two D and three D versions, and so yes. we've got the inflated three D price that's playing in there. That that's not to take away from the fact that you know a lot of people are still going and seeing the film, but that is a factor uh, in in a, in a small way. Um, but why do you think, I mean, is it because this is a film coming out at Chinese New Year that people are, you know, anxious and excited to see it? And I'm guessing that if the trend is continued, it's because word of mouth has gotten out and people are saying that it's good. So does, does he now have the, the, his finger on the comedic pulse of the mainland?
0: Um... I think it's, it's... Well, of course, Stephen Chow sells. The name sells. Um, also, Stephen Chow knows that out of all, out of all his films, um, the Chinese Odyssey movies was actually his most popular. So when it came time to, to get himself out of acting and trying to work on directing, um, he's going to aim... And, and trying to aim for the mainland market, of course, he's going to try and exploit on what he's um, most popular for, which is the you know, Journey to the West story. Generated to the west film so so yes yes i think there was some calculation uh when it came to to trying to make a film that's aimed at, aimed at mainly audiences um and of course he chose um uh, popular stars um popular younger stars at least for the younger people wen jiang and Huangbo. um they're not particular. they're not you know traditional marquee stars but but they are very well known to two audiences as in, uh, one Zhang is well known to younger audiences for his TV dramas. Uh, and of course, uh, love is not blind. Um, and Juan is a very popular comedic actor. Um, so, so, so he made, and of course, Shu Chi. So, you know, he, he's very, he makes very calculated decisions, uh, in terms of the mainland. Um, and yes, it's very obvious that, that he aimed directly for the mainland. I don't think even he was expecting to make this much money though. I think with this film, um, you were talking about the two, the 3D, the 3D bump. That's sometimes is a little exaggerated, actually, um, because um, that really just accounts for about 10, percent 15% bump in grosses. Um, in this case, in, in the case of China, uh, people don't even get to choose, so it's not like it doesn't really say anything about the popularity of 3D movies. It, it says something about um, people will will are willing to pay 3D prices for movies they want to see. And this, this is the case with uh, Journey to the West, is that um, not to take away from, like you said, not to take away from the success of the film, the, despite the 3D price bump, people still went to watch the film. Hmm. Yeah, that's an that's, interesting, that's interesting but,
1: point. But I would think it'd be more than 10%, if, especially if it's, if you're not getting to choose, because the tickets are certainly more expensive than, you know, 10%. In many cases, about- they're double.
0: Uh right. not no, 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 not double at all. Even it's, it's around the same trend as Hong Kong. I mean, even in Hong Kong, the the bump is around twenty percent, maybe hmm. at the most, and that's the same in, in in China. Unless you're watching on IMAX. I mean, IMAX is huge, right? But, yeah, but IMAX growth, IMAX growth is still doesn't really account for a lot of the box office in China, maybe because there aren't enough screens.
1: Yeah, you're right. I, I'm 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 thinking of my my old man Saturday morning. <laughs> Discount price show comparison,
0: <laughs> right? and <laughs> right. in, in China, in China, of course, film film going is still very um, expensive activity. So right now, I'm looking at this figure. I'm looking at 8.7 million emissions, um, from 18,000 18, showings. That's the figure you that the, you divide the two, and that's how you gauge how movies popular or not. You don't get you don't have to worry about being manipulated by three D prices because mm. right now that's saying that in each showing. On average, each showing has seventy people in each showing. Now think about how many houses in your typical multiplex. That's about hundred something seats. So when you have average of seventy something audiences and and I'm talking about average um in a hundred hundred, two hundred seat house, that's pretty impressive. That means the movie is truly popular.
1: Yeah, well, I mean it's 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 good news for, you know, fans of Stephen Chow, I think. Um, but if you're kinda looking for a return to form um, this film is not entirely that.
0: Not um, at all. I mean, because I, it, it, the, yeah. the the
1: one thing I took away from it is I really want to see the main the the Mandarin version. Yes. You know, I really want to yes. see the Mandarin version when I watch it again because the Cantonese version, the dialogue, um, it wasn't sync sound first of all, and it just it just didn't seem to fit. It didn't seem to have the same bite. It didn't seem to have the same. Um, it, it, it didn't resonate with the actors obviously because they were speaking Mandarin
0: um, I mean that, that could be a factor in why it didn't do as well yeah. in Hong Kong I mean it did well enough but you know yeah, not as well um, but uh, but actually someone on the um, on the when I said it was the worst one of the worst uh, Stephen Chow openings uh, in years um, someone said uh, uh, to me that you know I think on the internet I'm not sure I think on Facebook or something that maybe Stephen Chow would learn a lesson and then you look at this, and you look at this, these grosses, and the only lesson that Steven Chow learns is that, well, I can see where they really love me.
1: <laughs> him, him and Jackie Chan and everybody else.
0: Right. Uh, so um, clearly the only lesson Stephen Chow's going to learn is that, well, next time maybe I'll try a different mainland actor. Yeah. I, I,
1: I do wonder if this will prompt him to make another film in a shorter time span.
0: It's hard to say. I mean, right now there's already a um a profit profit splitting dispute uh brewing amongst the uh the distributor and the two food financiers. Hmm. So I think there might be a very long um, legal battle ahead uh for the film, which may stop Stephen Chow from well, I think Stephen Chow is the director, so he's totally hands off by now.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, at this point, because right now it's between the the big big you know, the big bosses and for for him, he's probably planning something else already. And um, and Derek Kwok, who 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 is co-director, now he has a he has what he has what the highest-grossing Chinese-language films of all time. You know, from the director of the Moss <laughs> and the Pie Dog, <laughs> and he has another Good blockbuster coming. Uh, yeah, he has another blockbuster coming at the end of the year—a firefighting um, film coming at the year. So it's it's really much better. It's gonna is a much better um, success for Derek Kwok than Stephen Chow. Yeah, um, co-director of Gallants, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, so, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a film worth seeing for sure. But I, I direct people to see the Mandarin version if they can. Yes. Uh, Because that's what I want to do. And of course we know that, you know, Steven's going to be busy. Uh, If he's not making movies, he's going to be on the, uh, the CPPCC. So (laughs) he's going to have his hands full. All right, uh, last bit of news for this week, going to some Oscar news. Uh, So the Oscars were earlier. Um, The really big news kind of sweeping through Asia is, of course, that Ang Lee won for Life of Pi, um, which was a surprise to me, although I was very, very pleased that he won because I really, really liked that movie. Um, And I think in a moment uh, that, uh, you know, I'll let Kevin talk a little bit more about his thoughts On um, the Oscars. Uh, I did not watch the Oscars. I just looked at sort of the results at the end and uh, quite a few films that I haven't seen. So I don't really feel the need to comment on those films that I haven't seen that did uh, get awards. But um, there is an interesting bit of uh, news or an article that's over on IO9 that I'll um, put up in the show notes that's uh, related to Life of Pi. It's talking about the visual effects industry and how. And basically, the uh, the article is ta- um, it's titled "How the Oscars Proved Hollywood Is Killing uh, the VFX Industry," and it comes from Lauren Davis, and it was put up yesterday, February twenty sixth. And um, she talks about how a lot of the visual effects industries um, have gone out of business, and how because of the you know the the way they operate, you know they usually get a set you know, package uh, to do visual effects for a movie, then if the movie goes on to do extremely well, well, the visual effects company doesn't really see any of that because they're not, you know, their contract is is sort of a, a one-off deal. Um, and a lot of times because of the pressures of doing visual effects style work, um, they're working, oh, you know, a lot of overtime for no pay and a lot of late hours when they're pushing for that uh, final release schedule and things um it mentions a lot of this in the article it goes on to mention too a little bit of the um the the unfairness uh that actually happens in the Oscars with regard to how much time they give uh some of the big headliners and and some of the celebs like Ang Lee to give their speech before they start playing the uh, get off the stage music versus uh some of the uh some of the lesser known categories like visual effects and others. Um, it's an interesting article, uh, and if you're interested in visual effects and uh, this particular take on, uh, you know, visual effects, uh, go go take a look. It's interesting, too, because, you know, at one time, visual effects wasn't really, you know, a best picture, best director kind of a film. You know, in the old days, it wasn't necessarily a film that was heavy in the visual effects area. So when you get a film like uh, The Life of Pi, which is you know, almost all visual effects going in there and and winning awards, uh, some of the top awards. It starts to get people thinking about some of the focus that's going on. And um, if you're interested in that, go take a look. So, Kevin, what were your thoughts on the Oscars?
0: Well, I, I, you know, I actually did um, and it sounds silly right now, but yeah, I did like um, like a bet with my girlfriend we did like a wager we we had a different ballots and we we try to uh, uh um <coughs> see who, who had to who gets the most right and uh, of course she she won and I lost um and and you know the thing is I I, I I voted I chose based on who I thought would win not because who I thought should win um and when we talk about the best director um do I think actually I think the best director um out of those weren't really even on that list. I mean, for example, I thought Catherine Bigelow should have been uh, nominated for Zero Dark Thirty, and she wasn't. Um, um, and uh, But as for the, the winners, uh, and you were talking about special effects, I, I don't agree with um, Life of Pi winning uh, best cinematography because um, most of that cinematography was actually, uh, um, you know, done, created in the special effects studio. It was created by the VFX artist, not by the cinematographer. Not lit, not framed by the cinematographer, but they were done by by special effects artists. And the fact that the, the cinematographer, the Oscar winning cinematographer, went up the stage and didn't even thank those visual effects artists, uh, I think, um, is is quite um, is is a little unfair. Uh, we're gonna go back to that topic. Um, as for the other winners, Argo, um, I think that everyone knew that that was gonna happen. Um, I, I even to this day, I'm not sure who I was rooting for to win. Um, of course, best actor, you know Daniel Day-Lewis, he's phenomenal in Lincoln. Have you seen Lincoln yet, Paul? I have not. No. Phenomenal. Uh, definitely should she should, should watch it. Um, best actress again, kind of up in the air. I thought Jennifer Lawrence was good in in Silver Linings Playbook, so I don't mind her winning. Um, again, I thought Mark Beau should have won for Zero Dark Thirty for his screenplay because all the all the research that went into it and and uh, and that was really impressive, I thought. Um, but of course, that one didn't win. Um, but you know, it's the Oscars, and you know, it's never really the um. It's never really the best. The best people never win. You know what I mean? It's almost never in the case where the best people win. It's really just the the best. How to say the most popular, in a way, but not necessarily the best. Yeah. Uh, well,
1: I I think that at least the if you go by the. A lot of the newspapers here in Asia, um, everybody was happy that Angley won.
0: Oh, I'm very happy that Ang Lee won. I thought Ang Lee was great. Um, I'm not, you know, to, like I said, I'm not really sure which one should have won. And I thought, like, you know, Life of Pi is a hell of an achievement, okay. and and but like I said, I thought really, how do you have a best picture winner whose director was not nominated for best director? I think I think if 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 Ben Affleck was ended up did being did get nominated uh, for for best director? I think Ang Lee wouldn't have won, um, but does it mean that Ang Lee shouldn't have won? I'm not saying that. I think Ang Lee Ang Lee, uh, did a did a great job on on like Pi, um, but I think the 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 fact that the nominees the nomination list was so messed up in the first place makes it kind of uh, you know kind of hard for you to think about oh who's who's deserving who's not right.
1: Yeah. Well, um, the guys in the chat room are having a. Short discussion about uh, uh, the duration of a lot of these award shows. Uh, Kenneth asks, "How long does a Hong Kong Film Awards usually run on TV?" That's like a three or four hour show, isn't it? The Hong Kong Film Awards. Yeah.
0: Oh, it's it's like three hours. Yeah. Yes, that, that's that's like pretty Three hours long and way. actually, essentially, it's almost like a, a a necessary that all award shows everywhere um, uh, has to go over time, including the Hong Kong Film Awards, the Golden Horse Awards, and of course. The the Oscars um as well. Yes, in the in the chat room they talk about how um how uh, how the have I seen have we seen the picture of Ang Lee with an Oscar in one hand and a burger in the other? Uh yes I have and that's an In and Out burger. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> West Coast West Coast Pratt. In and out burger. It's awesome it's an awesome photo. And he's a man of taste because he knows that In and Out Burger is the best.
1: Yeah, well. If he's in a state where marijuana is legalized, he should go to White Castle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, you know, award shows for me are always dull unless uh, the Golden Rock happens to be live tweeting them, so, or live blogging them.
0: Yes, the Hong Kong Awards. You know, what? I'm going to do it. Yep. April. April. Uh, so
1: we can look forward to that. So I uh, know I think that's enough Oscar news. I'm getting bored. Uh so let's move on and actually talk about a movie. West West Alright, so we have one uh, East Screen film to talk about this week, and that is the Valentine's Day uh rom-com drama, uh known as Together. Now this is directed by uh Clarence Falk or as listed on Wikipedia, if you do the Google Translate, Clarence Ford. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Starring a variety of people from lots of different places, including Angela Baby, uh, Michelle Chen from Taiwan, Bosco Wong from right here in Hong Kong, Chrissy Chow, Donnie Yen, uh, and some others. This is a, as I said, a rom-com drama. Unfortunately, this never really finds solid footing, due to some poor writing. Um, you have very attractive leads who find themselves stuck in very contrived plots that make about as much sense as a Valentine's box filled with diet candy. Uh, they do have some moments of chemistry, but these are often counterbalanced by completely awkward pairings that hit you like a blunt arrow to the forehead. Um, I haven't yeah.
0: had a blunt arrow to my forehead. In, yeah.
1: In, in days. Uh, just just starting hard. off, uh, this, they throw up some CG title credits that seriously looked like they got taken out of a after effects package from 10 years ago um they're they're like these cg balloons that you know pop up and then there's a logo and it just says together and just looked terrible um i'm not sure who was doing the the subtitle direction or the art direction but they should have just gone with a, you know a very simple font it would have been easy to do and that it kind of just threw me off i it looked so fake and 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 kind of gaudy um that I kind of had a feeling from the get go that this was not going to be um a pleasant experience. <laughs> um that when the best thing about your movie is the cameos, you kind of start to know that things are in trouble. And you do have a lot of cameos in this film, aside from the leads, uh the two Fama kids, uh Lookwing and Sequan are here. Uh, you've got uh, GC Gooby who shows up. Uh, Eric Cott has a fairly fun scene. Uh, Ben's Hoy uh, shows up. Uh, King Kong TVB personality shows up. Um, a couple others thrown in there, but those are some of the main ones to be on the lookout for. Basically, you've got two stories and a sort of a sub story going on, um, and these two stories don't really ever actually connect directly. Um so you kind of got two separate stories. The first story is about uh the Donnie Yen's character who's a, a police uh, motorcycle cop uh who people refer to as Cool Sir. And so if he's not cool enough, they have to actually name him Cool Sir. And uh cool. his actual name is Chen Guat-wa, and he's a he's a traffic cop, a motorcycle cop who crosses paths with a young woman named uh her and her name is uh, So q her Chinese name is cute, but they, the English subtitle calls her Jojo, which is really weird because you'll hear them calling her aq aq, and nobody ever calls her Jojo. It's one of those weird um, times when they get a completely different naming convention going on. Um, but uh, that's played by Michelle Chen, and she is a, a young bride-to-be who basically gets involved in an accident And um, she loses her memory. And because of the nature of her accident, she continues to lose her memory kind of on a daily basis. Um, She has a very difficult time. She can't remember long-term things, and uh, even the short-term things start to vanish after a while. So because she bumps into uh, Donnie Yen's character, they think it'll be good for him to sort of stick around because she seems to remember him because he's the most recent person in her life, and she can't really remember her parents or anybody else. So the two start to develop a relationship, until, of course, her fiancé suddenly shows up from out of the complete blue nowhere. Um, And uh, so that kind of throws in the the wrench to the works. Um, Donnie also has a problem in that he is not able to smile, so, yes, Donnie Yen can't laugh. Now, that is a funny thing, uh, <laughs> if you know Donnie Yen, because he loves to show off his pearly, pearly white teeth. Um, but, yes, he can't smile. He has to keep a straight face throughout the entire uh, course of, you know, his plot line um, because he can't overcome this. It's a They believe it's a psychological uh, impairment that he has, more so than a physical one. Um and so there's a little bit of a story. Uh, well, I can't remember the name of the classic fairy tale but the thing about the princess who wouldn't smile and uh the king offered you know to make a prince anybody who could come and and make her laugh or something. So Did you just say Donnie's a princess? Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it's 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 got a little bit of that kind of a narrative flair to it. Um you know as he grows, you know will he fall in love? Will he be will the, will the love from Jojo cure him and make him smile again and will she regain her memory so all of that's tied up in one plot line then you have another plot line with um Angela baby playing a gongnoi which is basically a very you know the term for a materialistic hong kong girl um girls who love you know name brands and things and she plays a character named Lee Sing Nam who's a young um you know 20 something upwardly mobile person. She, you know, she has a decent job. She makes good money and she uses her money to buy name brands and then talk to them. Yes, she talks to her Prada shoes and her uh, Gucci bags and uh, all all the other things like they were pets. Um, so if that's not weird, uh, then she suddenly gets thrust upon her um, a chance to be in a relationship with a gonglam, the sort of the Hong Kong counterpart to the materialist Hong Kong girl is the, I don't know what the proper adjective would be, but um, the Hong Kong male who tends to dislike the Hong Kong materialist girl. And uh, usually these two are kind of at odds on local forums and things. Um, you know, the, the materialist Hong Kong girls don't like Hong Kong guys because of their attitudes and uh, vice versa. But these two characters are kind of thrust together and they decide to have a sort of a romantic period of a week together and every day it's going to be a different romantic experience and then at the end they're just gonna like go their separate ways because it's
0: like the worst patch movie ever made yeah
1: it's like no no real reason they just you know come together and decide we're gonna do a week of romance and then we're gonna say goodbye um so that sets up their plot and then the question becomes you know will they or won't they kind of stay together They throw in a couple curveballs because um, Bosco, uh, uh, Bosco Wong comes in, and he's Angela Baby's boss, and uh, he kind of is going to be a third, you know, he's going to be the the third wheel, uh, the potential rival for a while, and he's, you know, drives around in a super rich car, and he wears super white suits, and uh, uh, plays a pretty good antagonist uh, for the most part, Uh, but really there's not a whole lot there um then these two stories never really have anything to do with each other but the film bounces back and forth between them um the the one thing that kind of shows up towards the end is then uh Chrissy Chow pops up as a I guess an ex of Donnie Yen's character and the one thing that I learned is that yes again Chrissy Chow can't act and (laughs) donnie should never ever ever do a scene with chrissy chow again because it was one of the most <laughs> awkward uh, i don't know how to describe it it was just really a, a it was an awkward awkward scene where he's just like Ed standing Teddy. there not saying anything he touches her face he walks Ed away Teddy. he comes back on the screen he touches her face again it's just weird and um you know i i like donnie uh and chrissy can be okay in some things but she was not okay in this um so there's just a lot of strangeness a lot of things that aren't explained a lot of plot points that kind of get left hanging and things that they don't bother to take into account because that's they're they're just not interested in like again um in the case of um, michelle chen's character her you know she has this accident she loses her memory and her fiance is just out of the picture until he needs to be back in the picture and there's no real explanation of why he was gone or where he went they they try to pass it off in sort of a one-sentence explanation that doesn't make any sense. Um, but it, they're just trying to focus on the romance notions, and they're not trying to make it sensible at all. And so ultimately, uh, it doesn't really work. And it it's not a really pretty film to look at. A lot of the scenes are very drab. Uh, there's no real great cinematography of note. Um, you know, I'm again, I'm thinking back to some of the film's that were rom-coms or rom drums from last year. And this just doesn't really hold up well. I mean, think back to like Angela Baby's, well, what was it? Um, First Time or First Love from last year? First Time. Yeah, yeah First Time, which, you know, it wasn't a great film, but at least it had much better cinematography than this. And I was trying to think back to the comparable film, the, the omnibus film that was around the same time, the Allure of Tears from uh, Barbara Wong, which I know we didn't really like, but I'm thinking that I liked it better than I like this. Um, so That's yeah, really the,
0: pushing you to the wall, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Really like, it's a push against the wall. You have to say, it. "Oh my god!"
1: But um, you know, I and I, you know, I like Angela Baby. Um, I tend to like a lot of the stuff that she does. She's not, you know, a great award-winning actress by any shape, shape or form. She's a pseudo model. And I, and I was thinking, too, is this the first time that the two sort of queen, queens of the pseudo-model industry have done a film together? I can't think if they... I don't think they've been in a film before, right? Because you've got Angela Baby on the one side and Chrissy Chow on the other side. Um, and even though they don't have scenes together, they're in the film together. I don't think they've done a film together before.
0: Have they? They, they might have in, in the earlier days, but um, now that I think about it, no, there may not be, but I mean, there have been other movies where, you know, more pseudo models teamed up or act, uh, acted opposite each other or together before, I think, yeah. anyway. So Chrissy and Angela Baby, yeah, I think you're right, they never been the same film together, but if it has to be together, I mean, <laughs> why? <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, even
1: Angela Baby, who I think tends to always look pretty good, there were a couple scenes where she was just not shot well and... Um, even the well, poster the legs the you, legs, yeah, but I mean, if you look at like the poster um I, that uh, we've got, well, you can go to the website and and take a look or if you're looking at the live stream, you can see it pop up. She's the topmost character on the poster, and it doesn't look like her. It's like they've got i don't know weird photoshop or something going on it, it they they've really made her look different um but uh you know, I think at one point they break the fourth wall. Uh, in the film, and uh, of course this is not a film with sync sound yeah. either, that is another thing that I think... Part, parts of the film were in sync sound. Hmm? Parts of the film were in parts sync sound. Parts of it, it, yeah, but not, I mean, there were other parts that um, I think the characters were speaking Mandarin and not Cantonese, and uh, you know, they, they should have just mixed it. I mean, it worked well in uh, My Sassy Hubby when they mixed it, um, and we got sync sound. But yeah, you're right, I think the scenes with Chrissy in Donnie Worsink Sound. Yes. Not that it saved him. Um, But yeah, another question I had, do these omnibus films really work? Because, you know, I liked some parts of this film. I kind of liked the chemistry between um, Donnie Yen and Michelle Chen, and I would have liked to have seen more of their plot, you know, emerge. Not that there was much more, that they could have done more with it, but there wasn't a lot there to begin with. Um, but I like their chemistry. I wouldn't have mind seeing a movie just focused on them. Or Whoa. alternatively seeing a movie about uh, Angela baby and, you know, her partner, but I was more interested in the Donnie character than anything else. Um, you know, but, but in making these omnibus films, you're cutting out story time, and so you're trying to tell a story in a much smaller period of time, and then you're just taking shortcuts, and I think that this film really suffers for it. There are deleted scenes at the end, which were actually okay. Um, and the, the the scenes at the end, they were just kind of cut out and put during the credits, and they were actually better than some of the scenes that were in the film. They could they could have actually taken out other stuff and left those scenes in. <laughs> um, but ultimately, together is not something that is very well put together, and
0: I think you should just flee it. Kevin? Yeah, um... Wasn't there supposed to be three stories? I'm pretty sure there was supposed to be three stories, but you know, I could see why they just sort of gave up and and just went like, yeah, screw it. Um, we have these two and they're bad enough already, so let's not torture people. Um, I mean, who cares? I don't want to sit for these two stories again, let alone a third one. Um, crying out loud, Donnie Yen plays a man who can't show emotions, you know, it's tailored fit for him, but I'm just saying, just the, 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 um, the humor behind that premise, the absurdity behind that premise is so... Well, I I do think, of, I think
1: somebody was having a bit of fun with him because he is known for
0: kind of flashing his teeth, right? I mean... <laughs> I don't think he's known for, like, a killer smile, but I, I think he's known for being, like, a no-nonsense, like, ass-kicker kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the thing. But, I mean, his whole, like, cool persona, um, you know, I think we are talking about how, like, some, some actors are just naturally cool and some actors try too hard. Um, and it comes off really funny. I think Donnie is in that ladder, the ladder camp. Because, you know, when, like, there was one point someone was taking a picture of Donnie's face. And he's, like, in a, he's in this, you know, traffic cop getup with the huge sunglasses. And then he automatically starts just pointing his finger. And we're like, <laughs> yeah! That's, stop trying, dude. Just stop trying. It's, it's just freaking hilarious. Um, and Michelle Chan, I mean, I just felt sorry for the poor girl i mean she was in one of the most successful Taiwanese films ever made and she's stuck in this crap um just sort of playing this melodramatic role and and you know i mean bless her i mean she's doing she's just trying and she's a professional actress and trying her best but you just kind of feel sorry that she's stuck in this really juvenile dumb badly written role um with this really annoying character uh i just really felt bad for um so i was like why Seriously. Um everyone in that story seems to be acting in different films. Like Donnie is in some actionless version of Flashpoint, Michelle Chan is in some um terminal illness drama and the people who play play her parents are in like a Taiwanese idol drama. They're all like acting in different schools. Uh and, and none of it really um uh, a match. It, it, it was all over the place. As for the uh Angela Baby and Kochi Tong plot. Um it went. It went from who cares to why bother, like the even the characters don't really make sense. For example, you were talking about the the, the the Hong Kong girl and the Hong Kong boys, right? Um, so Andrew Baby is in love with brand names and is in love with buying brand names and is in love with clear material, um, materialistic. Uh, she clears a, a thing with materialism, but when her rich boss goes after her, she plays it cool like she doesn't really need it. Yes, I know it's some kind of like tough. Character like I'm a tough girl and I can make my own money thing, but like it doesn't make sense. She's like, oh, I I only I only want what I deserve and all that. But then she's you know throwing around like 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 um um Prada and and wear brands, but doing what selling selling oxygenized water, oxygenated water, apparently according to this, the plot, it really makes no sense whatsoever. And as for the uh, the Hong Kong man um, persona. The idea of the Hong Kong man persona is that um, they're, they're uh, socially inept. They don't know how to talk to girls. Um, they like to play games and stay at home all the time. And, and, and Ko Chin Tong, he's like the, the, the most handsome Hong Kong guy ever. He's well-dressed every day. He, he puts on a tie. You know, he goes outdoors and, and has a car. He's nothing like a Hong Kong yeah. guy. So I don't know what kind of persona,
1: pres- well, personality the, the, that character is. It's the train man movie problem um as opposed to the tv drama if you've watched the japanese film train man the actor that they got they just kind of dumbed him down but then by the end of the film when they you know they they they, they spiffy him up of course he looks like a, a super idol whereas if you watch the i think that um the train man tv drama the actor that they got is really a dumpy guy <laughs> so he really fits the role but this is not yes. the case here yeah he's definitely uh he's he they're definitely playing the the wrong side of the track with that character.
0: Yeah, and none of the characters are consistent. Um the whole the whole twist in the middle it makes makes no sense. Um and really takes the uh the whole idea really just kind of nowhere. Um directing the directing really stumbled from beginning to end. Just from the first scene where you have this street, this this confrontation in the middle of the street, and it's directed so badly and and edited and so badly that you're wondering, you know, what what happened on set? I mean, the entire film was already shot at Cyberport. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's not like so it's not like they had, you know, they have like super huge difficulties with locations. Um, so I don't know where you know uh, what happened. The the you know Clarence Falk, you know this is a man who directed like um. Um, Which we call it uh, "Naked Killer," and you know, the the what was it, triad film with um with a uh, with uh, uh, Francis Ng and uh and No Cheong Wan. You know, he's done good good ish films, and you know, he, he suddenly comes by directing and making this. It's like, what the hell happened? You know, I'm not saying the script helped. I mean, this is a film so bad where uh that the, the neither the director nor the the scriptwriter uh got big you know got their credits shown on screen in big big letters. Uh, I think it, they were hidden somewhere in the end of in the in the end credits, uh, so that's how that's how proud they are of the film. Um, you know, it, it's not like some artistic integrity project where you bring together a bunch of big stars, and it's not like a big budget project either. So I'm not sure what happened. I I, I hope the star the stars got well paid because that's the only way you know this would explain anything. Uh, you know, it, it's such a it's such an ill conceived uh, ill ill badly made film i have no idea what the hell happened um so in this case if your date liked the film he or she may be the most lenient human being on the planet <laughs> you know and nothing nothing will make them will make them mad nothing i promise you nothing they they'll sit through anything god bless you <laughs> so congratulations you have you have really a, a, a open-minded or really a uh, mate there. And, and you really should treasure him or her for the rest of your life because I can't imagine anyone not coming out of this, you know, yes. not angry.
1: So so together is the new litmus test for a future partner.
0: Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, I saw Kozo and, and, <laughs> and friends of the show, Tim and, and Shelly and those people. And I and we all came out kind of just kind of like, what the hell was I mean, we had a good time unintentionally la- laughing at unintentional stuff. But we're just like that was terrible, so so clearly none of those people you know passed the limits test, and and I can't imagine anyone I know passing that test. So uh, yeah, try try it out.
1: Yeah, I you know if we could go back to the question really quick, um, of are you know is the the very nature of these omnibus films does it make them already somewhat flawed because you're limiting, limiting seriously limiting the amount of character development and. And story that, you know, these characters can deal with. So you're already sticking them just to some, you know, poorly developed plot points, you know, um, the girl who has memory loss every day or a guy who can't smile or a girl who loves, you know, materialistic uh, name brands.
0: No, I I think it's the um, it's the love actually syndrome. You know, put a bunch of big stars together and and uh, put a bunch of plot, and you don't even have to make the, you know connect them uh, together, and you'll you'll be hit. That I think mean, it's that kind of mentality. And plus, it you know, Omni, omnibus film is a lazy filmmaker's best friend. Yeah. Well, I mean, because it, I, you know, I only have to come up with you know like a thirty-minute plot. and I don't have to come up with much. You know, I just have to you know throw stuff, throw out rejected ideas for feature-length films, and and put them in thirty-minute chunks, and it's fine. So it's not really I it hurts the creators. I think it's actually a, a quite an easy way out for for, for scriptwriters.
1: Hmm. I'm I'm just thinking back to um, last year's The Allure of Tears. Again, I remember we didn't really like the film. We all hated that much. The film. but in my mind, it seems like at least the film wasn't as lazy as this film. At least you know the story. They did try and interconnect the stories at a certain point. And the stories seemed a little bit more better developed than, than this year's uh, version. And then I go back and think about some of the omnibus. They're not really omnibus films, but they kind of are. If you go back and you think of some of Patrick Kong's films, right? Where you've got, you know, different friends who end up having different storylines um, that maybe revolve around a the theme. I mean, this film kind of makes his films look masterful in some ways. Um,
0: no, I, actually, I, I really hated A Tears. of Tears, um, based on the intention that, you know, here's these three really forced melodramatic stories that will make you cry, and that's the entire point of the film. Together, at least, it's trying to do something, you know, oh, it's Valentine's Day, so, you know, here's a pleasant, even though is Donnie, Donnie is, is trying something new, not new, but, you know, something that's outside his usual, you know, comfort zone, and, and here's a Valentine's Day film, you know, they try to make a pleasant Pleasant Valentine's Day for people, even though it's bad. But Lure of Tears was, was really cannot, you know dirty in the fact that I'm gonna, you know, make an emotionally manipulative movie and try to make you cry.
1: Mm.
0: And and I'm gonna, you know, yeah m- remember uh um to predict the ridiculous absurdity of uh, Gigi Learn, you know, playing, you know, violin on a pedestal. You yeah. know, yeah, these ridiculous moments as well. So I think they're both equally bad. And and I think Allure of Tears is worse because it's not even trying to 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 entertain it's trying to force people to cry yeah
1: well we can uh, curse them both for taking very cute starlets like Zodong Yu and, uh, and Michelle Chen and uh, you know basically putting a, a a small blight on their resume <laughs> yeah <laughs> alright so there it is together see it at your own peril folks I think it's time for this You're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. Alright folks. Uh, That's going to do it for this week. We don't have West Screen film, so uh, we are going to uh, call it a little bit of an early night, and I'm going to get back to uh, packing up and uh, loading up some boxes. Uh, Comments, if you would like to send us a comment, of course, you can always do that. You can be a part of the show by getting in touch with us over at our website at uh, www.concast.com. Uh, You can also drop us a line over on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you there. Leave us some feedback. Tell us what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see done differently. And uh, we are on Twitter. You can get a hold of the show at twitter.com slash concast, where we will be doing uh, site news and updates from time to time. And if you'd like to follow me, twitter.com slash foxlore. Um, Not tweeting a whole lot these days, but I occasionally uh, forward some interesting stories from other folks or uh, get into some inane conversations about this that or the other thing but i do urge you to follow mr ma that is kevin ma also known as the golden rock uh you can follow him at twitter.com slash the golden rock that's one word and uh, he often tweets about film news and uh other stuff that's going on in the industry so if you're interested in that kind of thing please you know uh, do follow him you can find us uh directly if you'd like to email us that is uh gmail eastscreen at gmail to be precise and you can send us a question a comment send us fan art again thank you david uh or send us an audio file with a question or a short review of uh, something you know related to hong kong or chinese cinema and we might just play it here on the show and we are over on facebook facebook.com east s west s uh, kevin keeps that site updated uh, with what's going on and of course you can. Um, you can kind of follow along with some of uh, what we do here. We don't have an official presence on Google+, Plus, but I'm over there. And if you're in Hong Kong and you'd like to come out to one of our movie nights that we arrange on occasion, um, we have a special event group that that occurs over on Google+. Plus. So if you're going to be passing through and in Hong Kong and would like to come out to one of those, let us know when you'll be here and I can get you uh, put into that group. You can catch us on Stitcher. Listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry and your web OS phone Stitcher is Smart Radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, it's the smarter way to listen to radio. We thank them for their support. Additional thanks to Rob Gubbers of Snoozer Studios for our theme. Please go check out his album. Uh it's really good. Uh Rosh Chen of lovehkfilm.com and uh pay attention to his site cuz I think the uh LoveHK Film Awards should be happening and the next month or so or something like that, right? Uh, K-Man, of course, for sticking with me for 141 plus episodes. And, of course, all of you, the listeners, all you guys out there in the chat room, uh, Hong Kong Dave, uh, uh, Kenneth uh, from the Everything on Fire Network uh, or (laughs) Podcast on Fire Network, and everybody else listening, whether you're listening to us live on the live stream or you're listening to us in podcast form, um, thank you for being out there. Thank you for listening. Thank you for participating. Uh, we like doing the show because we think you like listening to it. Next show is going to be in two weeks because uh, it's going to take me that long to recover from this move. Uh, should be 142. And we're going to be looking at the latest this is a Wang Jing film, I think, Princess and the Seven Kung Fu Masters, right? Anything yep, else yep. coming up between now and then?
0: Well, uh, the new Pacheng Chan Wook uh, film has has uh, director of *Oh Boy* making his Hollywood debut with uh, *Stoker*. That that comes out tomorrow in Hong Kong, um, and there may be a few things here and there. Yeah, you're right. Um, and hopefully in two weeks we can talk about. Um, actually, something we didn't get to talk about tonight. Um, have you heard about the the Chun the anti-vulgaria article that that um that won the Hong Kong Arts Development Council Prize? I
1: heard. I heard there was an essay that one yes. was about Bulgaria. I didn't know it was anti-vulgaria.
0: Very anti-vulgaria. It's written by a Beijinger, a Beijing, um, be- a girl from Beijing mm. who, who who now is a reporter in Hong Kong and has written you know numerous editorials. And yes, she won an essay for calling uh, essentially saying that be offended that Bulgaria is anti-anti-mainlanders. Mm. Um, so in two weeks, I would like to propose that we talk about a little bit about this essay. Um, and uh actually a a reader of the uh, or listener of the show uh from from the states um also mentioned uh the the recent tv drama uh inbound troubles ah yes and uh he sent us a link to a uh, he sent me a link to a new york times story about the show and uh yeah we can spend a little bit of time talking about the 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 bru- the burning issue right now here in hong kong and it's uh between the, the mainlanders and uh and hong kongers yeah um for for those of you who are out there listening
1: um I I watched Inbound Troubles and uh the thing that drew me in initially was the name the name is the Chinese name is um uh Bu Dai Yet, right yes um which is a play on her fatal ways the Chinese name for her fatal ways from the 1980s Bu Jian Nehoya um and it's an interesting kind of a thing because now what we've what we've seen something I've talked about before is there's this whole sort of role reversal where Hong Kongers are now in a more inferior position, uh, and mainlanders are often in a superior position. We've we've discussed this point with, especially with Chinese New Year films, where them, you know, you always have these rich mainlanders coming in to kind of save the day uh, at the end now, and so this is becoming a trend in other things like this uh, TVB drama, and so yeah, we can come back and we can talk about. It. Uh, a lot of that stuff
0: uh, yeah especially since it plays such a big part in Hong Kong popular entertainment yeah so um, we'll yeah, so we talk about that
1: and uh, we've got other stuff coming up uh, towards the end of the month of course the Hong Kong International Film Festival will be starting we've got uh, the new uh, the, the new Ip Man movie and a Tang Wei movie uh, also coming at the end of the month so we can look forward to those all of that and much more. Until then, this is East Screen West Screen. Wishing you good viewing. Have a great year of the Snake, and we'll see you next time. You next time, everybody. Uh.